Team USA beating the Soviet Union segues nicely into our first story tonight. Yeah, that's the sound of a military parade. It was Victory Day today in Russia, across the country, and in Moscow. Uh, A big parade. It's like this every year, 77 years now, uh, since the Soviets defeated Nazi Germany. They celebrate this day every year. It's a big deal in the country. And of course, this year, the war in Ukraine loomed very large over the whole affair. It had been anticipated by many that Vladimir Putin would say something of consequence in his speech today regarding the so-called military operation, the invasion of Ukraine. Well, in his 11-minute speech, he didn't mention Ukraine to the thousands of troops assembled on Red Square. He gave no assessment of how it's going, where it's going, instead turning to a familiar litany of complaints about external threats trying to divide Russia and using victory 77 years ago to try to justify an invasion now about 75 days old. Here's Vladimir Putin. You are fighting for the homeland, for its future, so that no one forgets the lessons of World War II, so that there is no place in the world for executioners, punishers, and Nazis. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky delivered a message of his own in Kyiv on video. A five-minute video shows him walking alone on what we imagine Putin would have hoped would be the victory parade route in the Ukrainian capital. We know that didn't happen. Zelensky's message was defiant, saying his country will celebrate a new victory day in the future. Victory over Russia. Because only a madman can want to repeat the 2,194 days of war. The one who is already repeating the horrific crimes of the entire Hitler regime and copying everything they did. He is doomed. Vladimir Zelensky there. Of course, he got some support from Canada yesterday. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie were all in Kyiv announcing further military assistance and funding support for Ukraine. So on a day meant to showcase Russia's military might, a smaller than usual parade today, what to make of what Putin said? And more importantly, what he didn't say. And what of Ukraine's defiance and Canada's show of support? Joining me now is Marcus Kolga, a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and director of Disinfo Watch. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me on. Just your, your initial reactions to what we, uh, what we heard and maybe what we didn't hear today from uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, I think the expectation amongst uh, a lot of experts, myself included, was that uh, that uh, Vladimir Putin would use uh, today's uh, parade and and events to make some sort of a, a, an announcement about about Ukraine, perhaps some sort of fabrication about a a, a victory that certainly uh, hasn't materialized, uh, perhaps the opening up of some new front in this conflict. But uh, instead, uh, you know, we heard uh, uh, a lot of grievances, repeated grievances about. Uh, you know, NATO being responsible for this war somehow, that uh, ru- that Ukraine is being run by neo- a neo-Nazi government, even though its president, Vladimir Zelensky, is, of course, Jewish. And, and you know, the war has not been going very well for Vladimir Putin. So uh, I think he was hoping uh, to demonstrate some sort of progress to his people uh, today, but um, none of that happened. And in fact, you know, the, the celebration, supposed to happen were even scaled back there was a uh, a scheduled a flyover of 
Russian aircraft in the Z formation. This has become a symbol of this this war. Uh, even though the the weather was just fine, it cancelled. They cited poor weather, even though the sun was shining, um, and certainly there were much much fewer tanks. Uh, rolling through uh, Moscow today because, of course, a lot of them have been uh, destroyed by uh, the Ukrainian defenders. So uh, a very scaled back uh, version of what uh, I think many in the West did uh, to uh, of a celebration parade that everyone expected to happen today. Uh, for listeners who don't know, uh, May 9th is a very important day in, in, in Russia. We, we explained this off the top, but uh, but it is the day they celebrate victory over the Nazis in the Second World War. It's also a day where Russia itself is very much fought. It's become a much more nationalistic holiday, uh, obviously, over recent times. So that's the expectation that there might be something. And Putin has used this day in the past to to pronounce about certain things. So that that's the expectation that maybe today he would do the same. Um, Marcus, because he didn't. What might that tell you? Uh, you know, when sometimes omission is as is as revealing as as something that is said. Well, uh, you know, I, I suspect that he's holding back now. I think he's coming slowly, coming to the realization that um, his aspirations of of retaking Ukraine for Russia. Um, you know, initially there were expectations that Russian forces would march into Kiev. Uh, within three to four days of the invasion starting. There were uh, even plans to hold a Victory Day parade in Kiev. This was, you know, on, on Russian state media. They were, they were talking about this just a month ago. Um, the realization that things are not going as planned, um, the fact that uh, his forces have not made any sort of progress, um, he's unable, Vladimir Putin is unable to repair much of the equipment that he has. The production lines for new tanks, uh, new, more sophisticated weapons have ground to a halt due to Western sanctions. And uh, quite frankly, a lot of these companies are no longer able to process payments and, and fund that production. So all of this, you know, reality, I think, is, is crashing in on Vladimir Putin right now. You could see it on his face. I mean, he clearly looked dejected, angry, frustrated. Uh, and so, um, you know, I don't think that Vladimir Putin was expecting, um, you know, this, the day to turn out this way. Uh, his expectations were much higher. But uh, hopefully this will eventually lead to a, a stronger realization within the Kremlin that um, they should perhaps stop and retreat their forces from Ukraine and, and, and avoid further losses, um, given the, the massive losses they've already experienced over the past two months. The the angry, uh, bitter Vladimir Putin you describe is one we've heard before uh, when it comes to blaming NATO specifically. There was a little bit of a change, not not entirely, but a little bit of a change in the narrative today. He didn't really talk about Ukraine all that much, did he? He really talked about NATO. And this you get the impression they're trying to reframe this as a Russia versus the world sort of affair. Um, is that going to succeed, do you think? Well, look, Vladimir Putin has been trying to create a bogeyman out of out of uh, NATO, out of the West for for nearly twenty years already. Um, this is nothing new. Um, Vladimir Putin's own power relies on him um, creating these conflicts, creating. Uh, enemies all around Russia that are trying to um, take it over. Uh, today, of course, you mentioned NATO. He he suggested that uh, NATO was working with Ukraine to try uh, and, and and developing a plan to attack 
Russia. Um, you're right. I mean, that, that narrative is shifting right now. It's, it's not a surprise. I mean, that may give him an, an off ramp to pull back out of Ukraine and say, well, you know, Ukraine was never really the objective. The objective was to, to hold NATO back and look, we've succeeded in doing it. So if that's the case, that's fantastic. Um, that, that could lead to an eventual, uh, end to this, to this conflict. It will, for at least the West, uh, give them um, that that victory for Ukraine that victory. Um, so let's let's hope that is the case. I I suspect it's not. Um, you know I think that Vladimir Putin will will try to uh, you know engage in more threatening behavior towards uh, other nations. You know we've we've already uh, heard warnings about a potential new front opening against uh, against Moldova and Transnistria and uh, and also among other uh, EU NATO or sorry NATO uh, member states in, in Eastern Europe so um, you know we better keep a close eye on on what Vladimir's do- Vladimir Putin is up to because he's if anything he's been unpredictable in the past as well what stood in stark contrast to Vladimir Putin's speech, of course, was Vladimir Zelensky's uh, video that he released yesterday, uh, which which was an entirely different um, sort of set a completely different mood. It was a completely different tone. And he spoke, of course, about two victory days in Ukraine. They'll celebrate the victory over the Nazis in the Second World War. They're also going to celebrate their victory over Russia. It's been fascinating to watch uh, the the information war and just how much Ukraine has been able to stay on the front foot there. Yeah, the the image that that video is extremely powerful. Um, the fact that uh, Zelensky was walking through the streets of Kiev this stands in stark contrast uh, to Russian state media, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, the head of RT uh, in a month, just a month ago uh, proclaimed that that uh, Russian troops would be marching on Victory Day through the streets of Kiev. So it, it was no surprise that that Zelensky, who's really, I mean, an incredible communicator, um, he took it that that same narrative and threw it back in the face of of the Kremlin and Putin, and by by clearly, quietly, very calmly walking through the peaceful and quiet streets of Kiev, and I think that demonst- that was intended to demonstrate not only to the Russians but to the world. Uh, Ukraine's resolve in in fighting back against this uh, Russian invasion and the success that it's had in doing so. You know, if I were sitting in the Kremlin and I'm as as one of uh, a member of Vladimir Putin's inner circle, if I saw that video, it would be jarring, it would be alarming, uh, and I would make sure that the people in Russia were never able to see that because that will set off alarm bells uh, all over Russia if they were to see that uh, that video. Yeah, uh, Zelensky, of course, taking what would have been the route that that victory proclaimed, that victory parade would have taken, that Russian victory parade, walking the same streets as Marcus was mentioning. Uh, That's right. A high-profile visit from uh, Justin Trudeau yesterday to Ukraine, along with uh, Christopher Freeland and Melanie Jolie, and we'll talk about that after this. I'm speaking with Marcus Kolga, a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and director of Disinfo Watch. We've been talking about May 9th events in Russia. May 9th, of course, Victory Day, uh, as long marked. Uh, victory over the Nazis in the Second World War has become very much a nationalist holiday uh, of late. And today we were expecting to see something new from Vladimir Putin uh, regarding the war in Ukraine. We did not. It was a much quieter, angry, but but shorter, smaller event. Uh, not much new from Vladimir Putin. Um, you mentioned that we did have a visit over the weekend, of course, on Sunday to Ukraine by Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, Christia Freeland, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister and the Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Jolie. Uh, you you thought the timing there was quite significant, Marcus? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's incredibly important that uh, Western leaders 
now start visiting uh, Kiev. It demonstrates our Western confidence, our confidence in uh, government to fight back against this uh, this invasion. It demonstrates to the Russians that we are not afraid. We will not be bullied uh, into uh, into leaving our our allies and and the capital in Kiev. And so that that visit itself, um, the the declaration, the 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 raising of the Canadian flag back at our embassy in Kiev, all of those, um, uh, you know, are, 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 are very strong uh, demonstrations of support uh, and, uh, and, uh, and are, will serve as a big morale boost for, for, for the Ukrainian government. So it's, you know, the fact that all three, uh, the prime minister, the deputy prime minister, and the foreign minister visited at the same time is is hugely symbolic. It's uh, it is a it's a big boost for uh, for uh, the Russian Ukrainian morale uh, in in Kiev. So uh, you know I, I think it was it was an excellent move by the by the prime minister, and certainly some high praise from President Zelensky as well, who called Canada one of the country's best friends. Which is which I mean, considering how many people have been to see Zelensky, how many people he's spoken to virtually, mostly uh, over the past few months. But that is high praise for Canada. Is has it been earned in your estimation? I think it has been earned. Uh, Canada was one of the first uh, countries. Uh, after the initial, the first Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine in 2014, to um, to offer support, um, you know, the training that we have provided for the Ukrainian troops, and this was uh, a decision that was made back in 2015 under the Harper government. Um, that that training that was provided to the Ukrainian army um, may, has made a huge difference. Uh, the army. Uh, the Ukrainian army of today is much, much, much different and much more sophisticated and well-trained than the one in 2014. And, uh, and I think that uh, Canada has played a, a large role in that. So I think that, you know, the praise is well-deserved. I think we can give ourselves a pat on the back. Um, you know, surely there's, there's much more that we, we could be doing. You know, thankfully, we've, uh, we've uh, committed to increasing the amount of uh, lethal defensive aid that we're going to be sending to Ukraine that uh, we've now committed to $500 million in, in defensive aid. Uh, this is something uh, that the Ukrainians need. Um, if we're, if they're going to not only stop, but defeat Vladimir Putin, they're going to need that, that extra equipment. And it seems like they're getting it. So um, yeah, I, you know, I think that Zelensky was, was accurate and, and, and that praise was, was well-placed. I think Canada deserves it. When you look forward now, we've heard from Putin today. We saw Zelensky yesterday. Um, where do you think we're headed now and what needs to be done? Uh, and you've written about this. You wrote a, a piece with Bill Browder, the author, about this uh, recently. What do you think needs to be done to try to continue to make sure this doesn't turn into some sort of awful stalemate the way the Donbass did? Yeah. So number one is, is that we can't turn away from the conflict. Uh, we can't turn our eyes away from it. We need to pay attention, continue paying attention to it, uh, because this could turn into a, a, a longer drawn out a conflict. Um, we need to continue pr- uh, the Russian government. Um, there's, you know, in, in that piece that we wrote, I wrote with Bill Browder, we mentioned that, uh, you know, Canada needs to get behind this uh, uh, frozen assets repurposing act that's moving through the Senate right now. This is a piece of legislation that would allow the Canadian government to use the billions of dollars uh, in assets that we've we've seized from from uh, corrupt Russian oligarchs right here in this country. It would allow us to take those assets, um, sell them off, and repurpose those funds to support the reconstruction of Ukraine, to to support the refugees 
who are who are coming who are coming to Canada, um, this is something that we need we need to start doing because you know if we if we do that that will sit that will place significant pressure on on those oligarchs that uh, that help enable the Putin regime and uh, and may motivate them to uh, change their behavior or at least uh, get, uh, motivate them to try and and make a change in the leadership of of their own countries. Marcus Kolga, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.